Welcome to Sharkpedia, where your hosts, Megan and Imani, a couple of shark researchers that want to bring the science to you. We're creating a space to learn all things sharks and their relatives, answer your questions, and learn from the legends in the field. Get ready to jump in. Let's dive deep into the world of sharks. Welcome back, Sharkies, to Sharkpedia. Yay, we're back. Today, we're super excited. We have um, PhD student Julia Trutscher from Germany, right? You're logging no, in from Austria. 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 Amazing. Do you, can you introduce yourself, Julia, and like a little bit about what you do? Uh, yeah, sure. So first of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I am a paleobiologist. Um, so I actually work on living, but also on fossil sharks and rays. And currently I'm doing at my PhD at the University of Vienna uh, in Austria, the Department of Paleontology. And in my PhD project, I am studying the evolution of modern sharks. I'm looking at what drove the origination, but also what drove extinction events. And with the knowledge of the past, I want to study the possible future uh, perspectives, um, as we all know that they are facing a lot of uh, threats nowadays. So that's what I'm doing currently. <laughs> so cool. That's so cool. I was like extremely excited to read your paper and also just low-key stalk you on the internet to learn about you <laughs> before I sent you an email to come on the podcast. So I'm so excited that you're here to talk about some really cool shark teeth yeah i mean who doesn't like um a good shark tooth story or like research project it's so cool like so many people want to collect shark teeth when they find them but i don't think the average person understands how much you can learn from just a single tooth that you find yeah and so i'm hoping we can tell our sharkies a little bit more about that today hopefully <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is also our first teeth episode we haven't talked about have we talked about teeth i think we well we did stabilize the analysis with dr yeah Kim. but we haven't talked about like shark teeth regeneration or growth really which is, i'm super excited to introduce that topic to the podcast i am too yeah it was a good find okay all right so without further ado let's get started um on this really cool paper so julia can tell us all about it we're reviewing her paper, Heterodonty and Onogenetic Shift Dynamics in the Dentition of the Tiger Shark, Galeocerdos Cuvier, Chondrichthys Galeocerdidae. Um, and that's by Tisher et al. 2022. It's hot off the press. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so the summary for this article um, is, as maybe a lot of you know, elasmobranchs, which are sharks, rays, and skates, they have a lifelong tooth replacement. So they just like have rows of teeth that are constantly replacing themselves. And this has led to an assemblage of a great number of teeth from the fossil and extant species. And extant species just means current day species that we see today. Evaluating the tooth morphology is important for taxonomic descriptions and understanding how elasmobranchs have evolved when comparing extant teeth to fossil teeth. Heterodonty is the term for various tooth morphologies, and it occurs in most elasmobranch species and has proven to be one of the main challenges for comparing extant and fossil teeth. 
Although numerous shark species are discovered and described every year, detailed descriptions of their tooth morphologies and their heterodonty patterns are lacking or only insufficiently known for most species. In this study, Tertiary and colleagues generate 2D models on teeth of tiger shark Galeocerdo cuvier to describe how teeth develop and shape changes from embryos all the way to adults, mostly characterized by the increasing size and complexity of their teeth. They furthermore provide the first comprehensive description of embryonic dental morphologies in tiger sharks. So literally, little baby embryo tiger shark teeth. <laughs> they look at that. It's so cool. <laughs> and finally, they have multiple cases of tooth file reversal and are described. And I have a lot of questions about that. This study contributes to our knowledge of dental traits across age stages in extant tiger shark teeth and provides a baseline for further studies on the dental variation in sharks. It has the potential to assist elucidating underlying developmental and evolutionary processes behind the vast dental diversity observed in elasmobranch fishes today and in deep time. I love that phrase. We're diving yeah. deep into yeah. sharks. Yeah, I love that phrase, deep time. Oh, so exciting. Awesome. I'm so excited about this. So just to introduce shark teeth to our sharkies, shark teeth have similarities with human teeth. So just like to relate them to something that we know really well, they have an amyloid and dentine and they have a central pulp cavity. But sharks seem to have drawn the longer straw in the fact that they can replace their teeth throughout their life. Whereas if I lose a tooth, I need to like go get a fake one made and put back into my mouth. Do you know how many teeth a tiger shark or just a shark in general might go through in its lifetime? Well, the thing is, from some shark species, we know the time uh, it takes to replace a tooth. But unfortunately, the tiger sharks is not one of these sharks because tiger sharks are among the largest and most dangerous sharks uh, on the planet. So it is somewhat difficult to examine teeth on a live animal. <laughs> Uh, but we know from other sharks that we can keep in aquaria uh, how much time is needed to replace teeth. So, for example, sand tiger sharks, uh, they have a tooth loss rate from one tooth a day. Uh, nurse sharks lose teeth every nine days up to 70 days. So the rate uh, is higher in summer and lower in winter. So it depends on many different factors. What? Yeah, it's yeah, it. Seasonal tooth loss. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it it uh, depends on different factors, including the water temperature. So we know that sharks form, lose, and replace like tens of thousands of teeth in their lifetime. But so far, it's it, it's uh, especially because it's so dependent on different factors. It's only a thing that we can estimate so far. Um, yeah, but we're talking about tens of thousands of teeth. <laughs> Can you imagine the tooth fairy money you could get on that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all you need to do is get a dollar for one tooth and uh, you're making pretty good money. <laughs> Lots of money. This also kind of sounds like my stress dreams where my teeth just fall <laughs> out when I'm really stressed out. But instead of getting new ones, I'm just left with gums. <laughs> Yeah, sharks will never have this problem because they're immediately coming again. <laughs> I My dental bills would be so cheap. Oh, yeah, yeah. They never have problems with a dentist. <laughs> oh. 
What luxury. And also because uh, you, you mentioned the human teeth or, or the similarities, it is actually it's the case that in sharks, uh, they have much more diverse teeth. I mean, not only regarding the shape of the teeth, but also if you look at the internal structure. So some of the teeth, dependent on species again, have a pulp cavity. Others are completely filled with dentin. And then we have numerous intermediate forms. For example, um, differently developed dentin layers um, or teeth that are built only up with, uh, by one form of dentin, teeth that are built up by two forms of dentin. We have different root structures and so on and so on. So uh, in some previous studies, we have actually already looked at the composition of teeth of various shark species. And we have realized that the inner values are incredibly diverse and they so cool. uh, have still a lot to offer. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so why are having differently shaped teeth or differently formed teeth useful for sharks? Um, <laughs> it is actually believed that different tooth shapes correspond to different feeding strategies. Uh, so basically representing a form-function relationship. Um, for example, that slender and smooth teeth are used to catch and pierce uh, fish or, or squids, while serrated and, and uh, white teeth are used to cut and slice prey, uh, which seems pretty obvious. But the problem is that these are just assumptions so far. And there is little actual performance testing on shark teeth so far. So the few mechanical studies that we actually have actually suggest that tooth morphology is not a good predictor of feeding strategy. Really? Yeah, funny, but it's actually a good example of how much we still have to learn about sharks and how much uh, yeah, research needs still to be done in future. I... <laughs> So I was I was at a wedding yesterday, which both of you know, mm. and I don't normally walk around just telling people what my job is. But that's one of those questions that comes up whenever you meet someone and you don't know what to talk about and they ask you what your job is. So there was this whole family who was obsessed with the fact that I study sharks. And one of them, they were all asking me questions. And one of them looks at me and like deadpan just goes, what is there to actually learn about sharks that we don't know? And I was like, this is like a years long conversation, <laughs> dude. There's, there is so many we things that we don't, we don't know. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that though. We got to tell people, you know, there's so much to learn still. I think that's actually, I think a misconception is that, oh, we've known so much about sharks, but we don't like, we're still discovering new species. And yeah, not only new species, but also like uh, in species that are already well known and well described, we still learn new things about these species all the time. Like you think, oh, everything is known about this species. No, that's not true. <laughs> we it. discover new things every day. It's amazing. I love it. The shark research world yeah. is wide open, everyone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> So speaking of differently shaped teeth, you also say in the paper that they can vary based on sexes specifically, yeah. which I found really fascinating. Like I didn't even I did not know that. consider that. Do you have any idea why they would vary based on sex with all of the other varying reasons why they vary in general? Yeah, no, uh, as you already said, there um, 
also in the introduction, like we know that sharks exhibit heterodontia and they have uh, actually several forms of heterodonty. And one of them is the gunandric heterodonty, which basically means sexual dimorphism in teeth. And um, so each sex will have a different shape. Differently formed yeah. teeth. Yeah. A differently shaped teeth. Um, and yeah, originally it was assumed that these different tooth shapes in uh, both sexes are due to different prey preferences of males and females, but it could not be proven actually. And instead, now it is actually widely accepted that in the species that have uh, this kind of sexual dimorphism, that males use their pointed teeth to bite and to hold on to the um, pectoral fins of the females during courtship and mating. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what's actually, in my opinion at least, the most fascinating uh, form of this sexual dimorphism is the so-called seasonal gonandric heterodonty, which so far is has been observed in some species of race, um, which means that the males change the shape of their teeth only during mating season, and after the mating season, they change it back to the normal shape. Stop it! That's insane! <laughs> I don't understand. What? That's so complex. <laughs> so complex! That is so Ooh. cool! And it makes studying shark teeth a little bit hard. <laughs> yeah. <But> fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and the replacement of teeth even during mating season i'm assuming that's passive like they're not deciding to change their teeth does it no, just no no it just naturally happens for them right yeah, either okay. they break off when they when they uh, feed you know sometimes during the feeding process uh, the a tooth breaks off and it has to be replaced or they are simply pushed out of the jaw fall off and are being replaced by a uh, replacement tooth oh that's so interesting that's like if we lost our baby teeth every single year for multiple times of the year and then we grew new ones but also like the timing on that is so insane to me like somehow yeah. the teeth are replacing themselves just at the right the right time for mating season i'm that is really cool yeah yeah uh, that's for sure uh also something you should i mean not you specifically but people should uh look deeper into because i think there's yeah, still a lot to learn there. Yeah. I wonder if this is why we've never found vampires is because they just change their teeth so we don't ever see them. <laughs> spooky, spooky. So in this paper specifically that we're talking about, you mm -hmm. aimed to research and clarify tooth development and morphology or shape from <laughs> an embryonic stage to adult tiger shark. I'm just fascinated by this idea what made you interested in one this specific species but also figuring out the different life stages of their teeth <laughs> well um the thing is okay tiger sharks are absolutely unique and extraordinary sharks in very in in many ways so they seem to do whatever they want i have the feeling um like no matter what aspect we look at of tiger sharks, they never stop surprising us, really never. They, for example, have developed a unique way of reproducing that so far is only known from this single shark species. 
They are incredibly large, larger than all other ground sharks. Um, they have unique teeth with an extraordinary shape that allows them to eat everything they want and much, much more things that make them extremely unique. They are very complex. They are fascinating. And when I started to study tiger sharks, uh, it shocked me actually how much science is done about these animals, but still how little we know about them, you know? Yeah. Can you tell me? Because I actually don't know. What's the fascinating part about tiger shark reproduction? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> tiger sharks, they are aplacental viviparous. So basically they have um, the embryos develop inside the mother's womb, but inside an egg case. So every single embryo is encapsulated within an egg case. And it also has a yolk sac, which it's basically feeding from. And additionally, it also um, imbibes a nutritive fluid, which uh, is uh, provided by the mother, which is called nutritive milk, I think. It's called embryotroph. Yeah. yeah. It's called embryotroph. And... Um, yeah, tiger sharks also, which actually also um, is different to all other carcharoniform sharks. They have an incredible large litter size. They can um, give birth to 80 pups at one time. Wow. I mean, mostly it's 33, but the, the, the highest number recorded is over 80, I think 84, if I'm not uh, wrong. And especially this combination of, you know, uh, being inside an egg case, inside the womb, being uh, nourished by a yolk sac and by the embryo trough. Um, this combination, so far, we don't know it from any other shark. And actually, the when they are born, at the same time, they also hatch from the egg case. It, it happens all at the same time. That's um, so yeah. cool. It's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it's so cool. They basically, they don't use a placenta. No, Which, no, 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 no. They I thought they didn't. Placenta. They didn't use. I thought that they they didn't use placenta for nourishing. Like you said, they had the yolk, and then they eventually used the, um, like the the and like yeah, the yeah to to yeah. feed, which is so bizarre. <laughs> I mean, there are other sharks that have uh, placenta, which is not uh, the same placenta like we mammals have, um, but there are sharks. Actually, in if I'm if I'm not wrong, uh, these sharks are belong to the family Cacharinida, which also was the former family of tiger sharks. So another good reason that they don't belong there because they have a unique reproduction mode, completely different from all the others. <laughs> weirdos, they're amazing weirdos. And then, Julia, I think in your paper you said that the neonates or the babies might have a tooth function because of how they're chewing that nutrients. Is that correct? Am I remembering that correctly? No, actually, we said uh, the opposite. <laughs> uh, the thing is, um, the thing is that we know from other sharks, like um, it. The name sounds very, very similar, but it's a completely different species, like the sand tiger shark. Uh, that they develop teeth extremely early in development, in, in embryonic development, and um, 
they start using them very early. Like they already feed actively in utero. How? Yeah, they, they eat each other. <laughs> yeah, right. And in the end, only two sand sharks are born because sharks have a paired uterus. So one uterus, one embryo. In the end, two are born and they are huge and they are already very good hunters. Uh, but in tiger sharks, it's different. They don't use the teeth in utero because, um, first of all, as I said, every single tiger shark's embryo is in encapsulated in his own egg case. So they stay in this egg case until they are born. They never get in contact with their siblings. And yeah, they are nourished in a different uh, way. So they don't need their teeth in utero. They develop them already so that they have them after birth. But in utero, no, they don't. They don't need it. <laughs> oh, so cool. So in your methods, you talked about using full tiger shark jaws. You had dried jaws instead of just isolated teeth that had been removed. Uh, why did you decide to do that? Well, um, several reasons. Uh, first of all, we wanted to know exactly from which position in the jaw um, the examined teeth were from. So one of our goals was to describe the change in shape along the jaw, essentially from the center of the head to the side, uh, which is only possible if we know the exact position of the individual teeth. And especially in tiger sharks, the change happens very gradually, which makes it very difficult to correctly assign individual teeth to a position in the jaw. And also a second uh, reason is that most of the jaws that we, um, that we investigated came from museum collections. And I think they wouldn't be very happy if we destroyed their nicely prepared jaws. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Definitely not. Don't do that. Especially when you only had like one neonate that you had. Oh, that's actually in our own collection. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we also didn't want to destroy it. <laughs> do you mind me asking how you got that one? The thing is, we are shark scientists in a landlocked country. We're working in Austria. We don't have an, a sea. So we have actually multiple collaborations with other shark research centers. And uh, the neonate tiger shark that we got, yeah, was from one of our collaborators who sent it to us. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. I mean, I think that's good to remind people too is, you know, they think marine biologist, you must live on the ocean and like, Scuba dive and go surfing every day. Yeah, that's actually one of the most frequent questions I get asked. Like if I if I say I work with sharks, it's like, what? How? You don't have access to the sea. How is this possible? And I say, well, first of all, I work on the anatomy of sharks. I I, I study like the teeth, for example. Um which is possible from wherever on the world you are. And second of all, we also study fossils, which again is possible from wherever in the world you are. So no problem here. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So before I go to my next question, I just found this really fascinating. And I don't think that a lot of probably our listeners know this, that you can estimate total length of a shark from its jaws, which 
I just find that really cool. I don't really think, I mean, you can do that with people too, but I think that's one of those, one of those things that you don't actively like go around thinking, oh yeah, I could just estimate this animal's length from its jaws. But I think that's, you know, it's fun because that's how we figure out roughly lengths of extinct sharks and things like that is from their tooth size and their jaw size, which is just really fascinating to me. So speaking of all of the total lengths and tooth sizes, um, you categorized the sharks that you had into four uh, basically mm-hmm. life stages based on their total length. So you had your embryonic or little small ones between 0 and 79 centimeters total length. You had your juveniles between 80 to 199 centimeters. You had your subadults from 200 to 220, 299 centimeters. And then your adults were 300 to 550 centimeters. Can you just briefly explain the differences between those four life stage um names for people who maybe don't know what a juvenile is versus a subadult versus an adult? Uh, of course. So um, the embryo category, of course, is the stage before birth <laughs> in this case. But I should add here that the embryonic development generally can be divided into several stages from fertilization to birth. Uh, in our case, we focused on a fully developed embryo, which was close to birth. So no further classification other than embryo uh, was necessary. And classifying sharks after birth was a little bit more difficult because, um, for example, size at sexual maturity varies not only between sexes, but also between locations. So it's yeah, it's it's a little bit tricky. Um, therefore, you know, we had a look at previous studies of tiger shark size, uh, and we considered. Um, yeah, we had a look at all at several other studies, and we considered all specimens which were larger than three meters to be definitely adult, or in other words, to be mature, and all specimens smaller than two meters to be juveniles or in other words, not adult. <laughs> and the sub-adult stage is kind of a transitional stage in which large but not yet adult uh, tiger sharks occur. Late teenage years. They're between the ages of 17 to 19 human years. <laughs> yeah, not a kid, but also not a mature one. <laughs> yeah. Right. So for our sharkies that don't necessarily um, read the paper or like see the photos that you have in the paper, could you just describe what these teeth look generally? Um, They don't look like a kind of standard shark tooth. No, no, not really. As I said, tiger sharks are special in many ways, (laughs) in every way. Um, The teeth, it's kind of hard to describe them because uh, they are very broad. They are curved back and they are notched. So they basically have a slant tip and they are completely serrated. So what is also very, very special about the teeth is that the serrations on the teeth, they are serrated themselves. So the teeth are secondarily serrated. And we know from other studies, actually, that these double serrations make the teeth extremely effective tools to cut large prey into pieces. So 
Yeah. I kind of think that tiger shark teeth look a little bit like how I would draw a wave when I was in like elementary school with like a little bit of like a a curve, but it's not, it's not as like, you know, smooth and flush like that. But instead of just thinking like of an arrow essentially is probably how you would think of a regular shark tooth, like very pointy and, you know, um, symmetrical. I, I think more of like a, like a wavish looking motion in my head. And then you have to add the serrations in and all of that jazz. But <laughs> I, I like, I like this kind of description. I, I didn't think so. Yeah. I didn't think that way, but it makes sense. <laughs> Good. Cause I was like, this makes sense in my head, but I have no idea if it makes sense out of my head. <laughs> so I found, you know, your description and all the all the methods that you use really interesting in your last section in the paper is geometric morphometrics. <laughs> is there a way that you can explain that to someone who has no idea what that is? <laughs> I will try. And I actually tried it. Uh, yeah. With my boyfriend today and he said, it's fine. So let's see if I uh, will succeed here. <laughs> um well, geometric morphometrics is a technique that allows uh, to evaluate the, the shape and the representation of complex morphologies by determining uh, so-called landmarks. And these landmarks, these are, they are points whose position is biologically uh, homologous in all measured individuals. So in other words, the uh, landmarks are points that we can find in every specimen studied. In shark teeth, for example, uh, these are the tip of the crown, of the tooth crown, and also the points of the cutting edges where the, the tooth crown and the root meet. We call it the uh, crown root boundary. And the shape of the cutting edges is described by semi landmarks which are points on homologous curves, but their exact position along the curves can't be determined for every individual. So one cutting edge corresponds to one curve. And we always use exactly the same number of semi landmarks on the same cutting edge of each tooth. So the position of the landmarks and the semi landmarks, uh, we do, we capture it digitally by a special program and based on the coordinates of these uh, anatomical landmarks, uh, we can then uh, compare shapes objectively by employing different statistical analyses. I think that was great. That was great. I mean, even your paper, I think that the paper described it well enough for me as well to at least get somewhat of an understanding in my head when I read the paper I was I was like how would I like if I was going to do it on my own body like what would I do and I was I started thinking of my leg and like putting a spot at like your hip your knee and your ankle for example because all people generally speaking have those three points and so then you could do the comparative stuff that you guys do but I that was a great description that was excellent (laughs) okay so now the fun part in the results section you describe that there are teeth on both the upper and the lower jaws. And just for clarification for us and for our sharkies, you call the upper jaw the paleoquadrat cartilage and the lower jaw the meckles cartilage. Can you say that for me? Because I know I'm not going to be able to pr- pronounce it. 
Yeah, the upper jaw is the palatal rate cartilage and the lower jaw is the meckles cartilage. You make that sound so easy. The upper jaw is so much harder to say than the lower jaw. <laughs> I know. I can say meckles cartilage all day long. <laughs> I'm just going to say upper jaw and lower jaw because no one needs to hear me stumble on that name. Um, but is there a difference between these two things or does it just refer to the location, upper jaw and lower jaw? It just refers to that, like the palatal quadrate is the upper jaw, the meckles cartilage is the, it, it's basically just a, a fancy way to say <laughs> upper jaw and lower jaw. Where did those names come from? I mean, why not just say upper and lower jaw? Because science, we have to make it hard. <laughs> right? It's like we have to make it so much harder. The thing is why we differentiate between palatal quadrate cartilage and meckles cartilage is... Um, what we were briefly uh, referring to in the introduction, the heterodonty, like um, many, many sharks have a so-called dignathic heterodonty, which basically means the teeth of the upper jaw look completely different from the teeth in the lower jaw. Uh, bull sharks, for example, they have broad and serrated teeth in the upper jaw, in the palatal quadrate. <laughs> Um, for cutting and for yeah for cutting their prey basically and in the meckles cartilage or in the lower jaw they have pointed teeth for grasping prey at least we assume like i i said yeah i i told you before that there's a little bit of uh problematic here um yeah that's why we differentiated between uh upper jaw and lower jaw in the paper, but we found uh, that in tiger sharks, we cannot see differences between the teeth of upper and lower jaw. So they don't have a dignathic heterodonty. Uh, yeah. They just they... said, I want fully great teeth in every location of my mouth so that I can eat all of the yeah. things that I want to eat. <laughs> and they actually do eat all they the do. things they want to <laughs> Yeah, can we touch on that? Because that hasn't come up yet. <laughs> like, what, what is a sand or what's a tiger shark's diet like? A uh, tiger shark eats whatever uh, fits in its mouth. No, actually, it eats everything. Basically, the thing is, I I have seen pictures of other shark species, including the white shark, where you might think uh, might sh white sharks can feed on everything. But I have seen pictures of white sharks which were actually um, dying because they ate such huge prey that they couldn't swallow it, you know. This will never happen to a tiger shark because they simply slice every single, single prey uh, into little pieces. They can... Um, they can swallow everything. I know it, it even even like even like a crate of, of chicken was yes. found in there. Yes. Someone also uh, found a license plate yeah. in the stomach. Yeah, one. license plates and, and also tires yeah. and the most um, ridiculous things. <laughs> yeah. And and also as I also as I said, uh, they also feed on all kinds of animals. They feed on turtles. You would never think that turtles are in danger. Because they are really hard shelled, but no problem for tiger sharks at all. Well, and don't they just like eat the turtle and then once they're done digesting it, they throw up the shell? Is that true? Wow, that's actually a thing I don't know that about tigers. That is what I've heard because they will, they'll invert 
their stomach if they're not like digesting something they'll just invert it out of their mouth this is a thing that i think i've said on sharkpedia before has happened to me while we're working up a tiger shark where it just like inverts its stomach out or expert i, I think, think it's inverts i don't know i <laughs> i think that's that's not unique to tiger <laughs> that's one of the things that's not unique to tiger th- sharks i think sharks in general can actually do that yeah they can i think it's from what i understand is like if a hammerhead just decided to throw its stomach up, we'd all be really worried about it because it's not a normal thing that happens for it. Whereas tiger sharks are known to like routinely yeah. just like throw their stomach up <laughs> and then cram it back in there, which is uh, just bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> they are weird. They are so weird. <laughs> um, so this next question, I have one that's just like a before this. Um, what is a tooth file specifically is it a row or is it like if you made like columns what what is a tooth file in their mouth (laughs) um the thing is that the definition of a tooth file and a tooth row is varying depending on which author you follow okay (laughs) so my colleagues and me we generally use the term row for the series along the jaw like parallel to the jaw edge or you could also say a horizontal row yes um which means that a tooth file is the series of teeth uh, perpendicular to the jaw edge Um, so a series of successional teeth with each tooth at a slightly younger stage of development and in tiger sharks for, for example we can see that the number of teeth um, that make up a tooth file is increasing as the sharks are getting older and larger. Yeah, so in embryos and juveniles, we have four teeth uh, in a tooth file. In sub-adults, we can count up to five. And in adults, it's actually up to seven teeth per tooth file. Fascinating. Well, you just answered my question, <laughs> so we can just move on to the next one. <laughs> You also found that teeth closer to the middle of the head were bigger and more serrated than teeth further back in the jaw. Uh, your paper has a really good figure, figure four, if sharkies want to go look that up, that shows teeth at all four stages that you researched. Um, just looking at the illustrations, we can see embryonic teeth are quite small and also appear to be smoother and maybe even flattened horizontally in comparison to an adult who has bigger, taller teeth and many serrations. So in terms of serrations, why would an embryonic or juvenile have less than an adult? Um, Well, this is most likely due to the feeding preferences that the sharks of different sizes have. Um, As I said before, embryonic tiger sharks do not use their teeth at all before birth. Um, The reason they develop teeth in utero is so that uh, they are equipped to hunt immediately after birth. But we know that young tiger sharks, um, we know that for a fact, because there are studies on that, um, they feed primarily uh, on smaller prey, such as small fish, cephalopods, and so on, um, for which a really complex serration is not yet necessary. But adult tiger sharks, <laughs> as we just discussed, uh, they prefer larger prey. They prefer prey such as sea turtles, marine mammals, or other sharks. And um, yeah, our study and also previous studies on shark teeth, teeth 
suggest that uh, sharks with serrated teeth can catch and slice larger and harder prey. So, um, yeah, as I said, the teeth of tiger sharks, of adult tiger sharks, they are additionally serrated, like the serrations are additionally serrated. They have serrations on serrations and they make their teeth even more effective for cutting, which little teeny tiny sharks don't yet need. Teeny tiny. (laughs) Tiger sharks also migrate like when when uh, you know the seabirds like albatrosses when they hatch um, or when they learn to fly ma- uh, tiger sharks migrate to these locations in hope that the birds would you know fall into the sea so that they can feed on them <laughs> just stalking smart sharkies so we're, we were just talking about serrations. What, what is the difference between true primary serrations and putatively primary serrations? Yeah, I know we mentioned these two terms in the paper. Um, yeah, the thing is, just to recap, um, that tiger sharks have the serrations on the serrations. Yeah. And the large serrations are called primary serrations. While the small serrations are on these primary serrations are called secondary serrations. And a previous study actually found that it is possible to distinguish um, histologically between these two forms of serrations in adult tiger sharks. As I said, you know, uh, the the inner values of teeth. so they essentially looked at the composition of dentin and enamelloid in the different serrations, and we can see difference differences here. Um, and the thing is, a true primary serration or true primary serrations are composed of both dentin and enamelloid, while secondary serrations are composed of enamelloid only. But in our study we found that the teeth of young tiger sharks exhibit putative primary serrations. So if you just look at them morphologically, you think it's primary serrations. But if you look at the histology, it's secondary serrations because they are only composed of animaloid. That's why we called them putative primary serrations. Oh, interesting. So it's just like a, it's a, dis, it's a distinction from another distinction. Yeah, yeah. Is what I'm understanding. <laughs> and also, what would be the benefit of having either amyloid or dentin? Like, what's the function of those that would provide an advantage of having different um, makeup of the teeth? <laughs> uh, that's, again, something uh, we still need to learn much more about. The thing is that, um, in general, enamaloid is much harder than dentin. It's the hardest tissue we can find in, in, in sharks. So probably it's a functional reason. But as I said, we, we still have to learn about this. and Future studies to come. Exactly. Future studies to come. <laughs> we can assume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So getting, you know, to the end of your results, I found it really interesting that juveniles have less teeth than adults. I'm wondering if that's just because of availability of space 
in their mouth to have more or if there might be a different reason? Well, um, the thing is, we know that when the shark grows, also the teeth grow. Okay. Uh, theoretically, therefore, the number of teeth should remain the same if both uh, the skeleton and the teeth grow at the same rate. So the fact that the number of teeth increases um, with age suggests that the jaw cartilage actually grows faster than the teeth and therefore provides more space for them. Um, but there is also, for example, a theory that a higher number of teeth correlates with faster tooth replacement. But we can't confirm it at this time, because uh, if you remember the beginning of the podcast, the speed of tooth replacements depends on many different factors, like yes. also uh, temperature. So it's so far a um, hypothesis. Shark teeth are complicated, is what I'm leaving. They are. <laughs> Fascinating. And they, even though we still have a lot to clarify, uh, they also give us a lot of information. Tons of information, actually. Cool. Um, okay, so this article provides the first comprehensive quantitative study of its kind on tooth variations across four different life stages. Uh, what are the most important things? you'd want our listeners to walk away with from our discussion of your paper? Um, well, the thing is, from a, from a paleobiological point of view, <laughs> um, I would like to urge uh, shark researchers <laughs> to study uh, shark teeth as much as possible and to make them also available to their colleagues. Uh, in the form of photos or scans, because the thing is, sharks are being studied all the time. Sharks are being discovered all the time and are being described and everything. And uh, by now, the descriptions of new sharks are quite detailed and often also, um, often we can also have, we also have like DNA samples and whatever. And what often is missing or or kind of neglected are teeth so in a lot of shark descriptions we only have like a photograph of the gap of the mouth and a sentence like the teeth are pointed which is like yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> i can't really do anything with that information please give me more please give me a detailed picture of the teeth uh, ideally from both sides or, or, or a scan or whatever, because the thing is the information, as I said, uh, in, uh, teeth give us a lot of information about sharks, but not only of extant sharks, but we can also draw conclusions about extinct sharks, you know, uh, because in yeah. the fossil record, we mostly, not only, but mostly have isolated teeth as fossils. So if we can't yeah. compare them to extant species or to extant tooth shapes, it's quite difficult to, for example, find out um, on what position in the shark family tree the extinct shark would have been, and so on and so on. So <laughs> for other shark researchers, please provide pictures or scans from shark teeth. <laughs> yeah. And from 
all other people at least uh, at least for me it is like we have have been talking about that but i always find it fascinating how much how many new things we still can learn about sharks because although research has been going on for ages now uh, shark research uh, we constantly discover new things and they the sharks never cease to amaze us you know with incredible diversities that they have developed and evolved in this group and i'm sure there's still a lot of things to discover and i actually hope that we can manage to protect uh, and preserve this unique group which has already survived uh, for an uh, incredible long time and yeah we are now about to destroy them so i hope this is yeah. not going to happen i know one of my <laughs> favorite slash satisfacts is that sharks are older than trees like yeah. they were on this earth before trees were on this earth and so to think that they've been on this earth for so long yeah. and then we're just like kind of destroying them is sad but it's so cool that they've been here so long yeah they actually survived multiple extinction events like like yeah dinosaurs died out sharks didn't <laughs> like yeah they they're so amazing cool. they are amazing they're also older than saturn's rings which is one of my favorite facts about oh gosh them. that is really which cool. is just fast that's like that's freaking cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. so to close Please. out our episode we would like to ask you for your favorite field story um and so i know that that you you mentioned that you you mostly work with fossil teeth. So whether or not you've done a lot of field work, we actually don't know. But we have had other people talk about not necessarily in the field stories, but things that they've been doing in the lab that they were really excited about um, that they want to tell other people or the first time you saw a shark jaw or something, something like that. So really any story that you'd want to share with our listeners, we would love to hear. Um, yeah, as you already said, I, I, I'm in a somewhat strange situation because I work on sharks, but in a landlocked country. Um, so I'm not, I am uh, at the sea regularly, but not, yeah, daily. And also I work with fossil sharks, with which uh, I collect most of the data in museum specimens. But I think, I mean, honestly, working with sharks is always amazing. Uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> so you could tell, you could tell uh, many different stories that yeah still would be great, but I think the most exciting kind of field story I have um, is the one from a trip uh, trip that I took with two colleagues to Israel. Um, because I don't know if you know, but uh, on the Mediterranean coast of Israel. Um, dozens of sandbar and dusky sharks aggregate every winter because there is actually a power plant and the power plant uses the water to to cool down um, whatever and then they send back the warm water into the sea and the, uh, the sea is uh, much warmer in this region it has like 18 degrees the whole uh, winter Oh my goodness. And the sandbar sharks and dusky sharks are there all the whole winter and they are quite huge, like more than two meters. Crazy. And yeah, they and and you can uh, see them just by standing on the coast. Like they are everywhere. It's amazing. 
and um, yeah, we've been there in Israel and we visited some uh, colleagues who were working there. And then one of the one of these colleagues, a friend of ours also, uh, he wanted to take us to snorkel with the sharks. But a few days before there has been a huge storm. And the thing is, the water was extremely murky. But we were there, so we wanted to go in the water anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so we went in uh, snorkeling and it wasn't a good idea because you couldn't even see your hand before your eyes. You know, it was the, the water was horrible. And there were dozens of sharks around us. And the four of us, we were snorkeling so, so close to each other that we kept touching. And, and every time uh, somebody touched the other one, we were screaming. <laughs> we were, oh, my gosh. Because we were so terrified. And, and then uh, at some point we found a rock that was... Uh, it was so high that we could sit on it, but it was we were still completely underwater apart from the head. And so we sat on this rock and and suddenly there was a huge shark swimming directly towards us. So we could it, it was classically, you know, with the huge dorsal fin out of the water and it was approaching us. And like two meters in front of us, it descended. <laughs> and, and we were, we were oh, that's amazing. <laughs> we put the heads on water and panicked, you know, we wanted to see, oh God, where is it? But uh, we couldn't see anything. And uh, in the end, absolutely nothing happened, really. Uh, but it was a little bit scary. And even though I've been diving a lot with sharks, um, I have, this was the only time I haven't uh, felt completely comfort comfortable yeah. in the water with sharks. Um, so basically i just want to say it's not recommended to go into the water with sharks under such conditions <laughs> yeah i think murkiness just murky water just adds a whole level for me like even just diving when there's no there's nothing around me like i know there's no fish around me but murkiness just, yeah it just elevates your fear of not being able to <laughs> see anything oh yeah it's the unknown <laughs> And don't do it if you know that there are sharks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we yeah. We wouldn't do it anymore. <laughs> oh gosh, that's a great story. Well, Julia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been really, really cool. We learned so much about teeth. I had no idea that teeth could be varied so much by individual and by species and by season. Like what is happening? Yeah, that's so that's cool. cool. Indeed. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed being here. <laughs> oh, good. And if our sharkies want to follow your work, uh, where can they find you? So I have a Twitter profile, which basically is um, <laughs> you, like only J and U, Tircha, uh, but with U E. <laughs> my God, my name is quite complicated. I realize now. Um, but I hope you can write it down. Yes, so. we'll put it in the in the notes. It work easier, I assume. And I'm also on Instagram, of course. Uh, basically, with my full name, just with an underline, and also with a second profile that is only specialized on shark sightings in the Mediterranean, which is called. Um, 
Heisichtungen Mittelmeer. It's German, but we post in German and English. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Sharkies, make sure to follow Julia. Find that citizen science page. That sounds really cool. And until next time, swim you later.